One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Political Party Podcast. This one featuring Labour MP John Woodcock. Absolutely lovely bloke, a total gentleman. Um, and I always try and get a, a mix across uh, the year. From show to show, really, of, of MPs from different parties and MPs with different experiences. And John was only elected at the last election. He was special advisor to Gordon Brown before that. So um, it's rooted in the contemporary, um, but with obviously huge experience already. Uh, he's an absolutely top bloke. It was a pleasure uh, to spend time with him. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Welcome, friends, one and all. What a fucking amazing crowd. Hello. Um, it's been an incredible month already in politics. And I'd say my highlight uh, was Philip Hammond on Question Time, uh, not knowing the difference between Rachel Reeves and Liz Kendall. Now, uh, Rachel Reeves and Liz Kendall are both Labour MPs. They're both female and they both have brown hair. Uh, he was on Question Time and kept calling Liz Kendall Rachel Reeves. Now, as far as mistakes go, it's not the worst thing, but for God's sake... Do not let him meet Obama. <laughs> Barack, loved you in Snakes on a Plane. Pleasure to meet you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> the politician I'm not usually a big fan of, to be fair, has, has really won my respect this month. Uh, Nick Clegg. Uh, I'll tell you why, because he's offered out Nigel Farage. I don't know if you've seen this. He basically said, right, I'm sick of all this anti-European propaganda... I'm going to have a debate with Nigel Farage. Any time, any place, I'll have it. Well, words to that effect, right? But he's offered, he's offered Farage out. Now, I'm a political nerd, right? When I hear that he's offered Farage out, I'm like, this is going to be quality. This is going to be like a big, massive... Like, I'm excited about Froch Groves too. I don't know if there are any boxing fans in the audience, but the prospect of potentially an Oasis reunion, Froch Groves too, and Clegg versus Farage for the European title... I mean, I really have, in my wildest dreams, this is what the coverage is like. Ladies and gentlemen, for the 20,000 watching here at the O2 and the millions watching at home on Sky Box Office and Sky Box Office HD, welcome to Nick Clegg versus Nigel Farage for the vacant European title. A lot of people have been talking about the fact that this title hasn't had any heavyweights in it for a very long time. Tonight, we're about to find out if any of them can clear up the division. Well, I tell you what, I'm worried. I'm worried about Nick Clegg tonight. I don't think he's got what it takes to deal with Nigel Farage. And let's have a look at the stats. Well, let's have a look at the stats. Nick Clegg, undisputed leader of the Liberal Democrats for the past few years. He's held the Deputy Prime Minister title for the last four Nigel Farage comes into this, of course, he held the UKIP leadership title for three years, vacated it for four during the Pearson years. He came back to unify the belt just a few years ago and has held it for six years since. Let's have a look at their electoral reach. Well, this is somewhere, Nigel Farage, reaching out at about 13%, according to the latest populist poll. Nick Clegg only coming in at 9%. Apparently he's been using Vince Cable as a sparring partner. Sky sources say that Vince Cable is absolutely exhausted. Well, that's right. Sky sources say that Nick Clegg has been debating at altitude in order to deal with... <laughs> in order to deal with the absolute blitzkrieg coming out of Nigel Farage. Farage, of course, whose training camp was intense 
involved 40 Marlborough Reds a day and seven pints of real ale or whatever pub he was bonking the landlord of. Landlady of. <laughs> what a heck of an exclusive. Of course... Of course, two of these fighters both want the big fight with the man they call three-term. Tony Blair, the man they're trying to tempt out of retirement. But that's a lucrative exclusivity deal with the Middle East that could see him out there until 2037. Join us after the break when it's Nick Coalition Clegg against Nigel the Barrage Farage. <laughs> if only. To be honest, when I practiced that in my bedroom, I did that for an hour. <laughs> in reality, it's just going to be, it's half eleven at night, it's Radio 4, time now for the discussion hour. Nigel Farage, <laughs> Nick Clegg. Can get into it. I mean, the leaders' debates as well. A lot of people are saying, that's what I quite like about it. I, like, I respect the fact that Nick Clegg's sort of gone out of his way a bit and gone, fine, you know what, I don't care anymore, I'll take people on. I sort of respect that. I respect that in sport, I respect that in politics. A lot of people don't want Nigel Farage to be part of the next leaders' debates. Now, every sane argument... <laughs> says that at the next election, Nigel Farage should not be allowed to take part. But sanity is boring. <laughs> I say let him in there, but not at the start. What I would do, right... <laughs> what I would do is let the debate start with the three party leaders, Miliband, Clegg and Cameron, then halfway through... You know how they used to do it in WWF when a baddie would turn up? <laughs> Dong! All the lights go down. What the fucking hell's going on? And just Farage, like the Undertaker... Coming from with a pack of wolves. <laughs> I have to say, uh, I give Ed Miliband a lot of stick, uh, and rightly so. Um, <laughs> I, something occurred to me this week. It's, it's been the transformation of William Hague. It's made me sort of reassess. Because William Hague, when he was leader of the Tory party, was an absolute joke. Everything about him, everything was used. His lack of hair, his voice, his posture, you know, his poor policy offer to, to the people. There were numerous reasons why William Hague was seen as an absolute jerk-off, right? And someone we shouldn't have bothered with. Fast forward ten years, and now he's like the greatest statesman this government's got. And he hasn't done anything different. The only thing he's done slightly... I mean, when he was 16... <laughs> I have few of you may not be here in 30 or 40 years' time, but I will. Uh, it sounds like John Richardson, actually, rather than... <laughs> and I want to be free. I want to be, all he's done is he's kept the same voice but all he does now if you see Willie make statement this week on the Ukraine and Syria and what is developing in Iran is that actually what he's starting to do is just talk down the lower end of his vocal he doesn't go as high as he would have done when he was leader of the opposition he goes very low now and it gives him a real air of superiority um, <laughs> Actually, what there's something about his voice that really lends itself to sort of bad news. <laughs> a sort of really, he's got a sort of grave tone to it, hasn't he? That sort of, and I would like to talk to the house about a matter of grave importance. <laughs> sort of, oh, it'd be a great, great voice for ghost stories. <laughs> there was an old house. <laughs> that was in the middle of a dark wood, and many people had been there over the years. Many said it was haunted by a demon, and a young family that took refuge there on a cold and dark and windy night <laughs> were never seen again, and their remains were never found. Some say if you walk through those woods, you can still hear the screams of the mother 
as she was dragged to hell. And when they were in government opposite, they did absolutely <laughs> nothing about it. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, they have the cheek to lecture us. <laughs> Great voice, though, isn't it? We're going to have a quick break. We're going to have 20 minutes. Uh, recharge your glasses, nip to the toilet. Uh, as always, you've been a phenomenal crowd. And uh, come back in 20 minutes when we'll be joined uh, by the legend, Mr. John Woodcock. Until then, I've been Matt Ford. Thank you very much. See you in a bit. Please welcome to the stage, Mr. John Woodcock. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Grab a seat. Call me cynical, John. I think you might have a few mates in. Well, you know, <laughs> it's always good to pack the audience. <laughs> it but is. Th but that was me thinking when you started that you only wanted me on because you'd done the half-on joke and you wanted to lead on with another... <laughs> <laughs> How but the fucking hell did I miss that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, John Woodcock, that's see, what we call him. See, His surname's see. Smith. <laughs> uh, <laughs> can go for hours. Um, now... Uh, <laughs> John, you're very much a rising star. Oh, well, uh, so, oh, 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 oh please, no. Seen as a rising star in the, in the Labour Party. Um, we talked a bit in the first half about Prime Minister's question time and Parliament being too rowdy. Yeah. Um, do, do you find it that way? Is it too rowdy for you? Mm. Well, for me, obviously, I can handle myself. But um, uh, <laughs> No, it is. It's, um, you go... You go in and you go to PMQs and it's, it, you know, it can be a laugh, it can be fun, you, all your temperatures. But then you go and you watch the clip on the 6 o'clock news and it just looks awful. And it's two people shouting at each other, pointing at each other, saying, no, it's your fault, it's your fault. And I just think this is what really, really turns people off. Um, you, you don't agree. Oh, you think it. it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really but, look, to, but to be fair, Matt, I mean, you are not normal in this. <laughs> And these people here, because they are here, <laughs> they have turned out basically to see you and a couple of my mates have turned out to see me and that does not put them in the, like, you know, the vast majority of, of kind of normality, really. Oh. So Yet. you're all freaks as well, then? Well... <laughs> I really enjoy it, but I, I understand that if it's too rowdy and there's a sense that it feels like it's public schoolboys, isn't it? It's yeah. not just that it's rowdy, that's it's a specific sort of rowdiness. Uh -huh. Do you think... That will change. Well, the speaker wants it to change, um, but we have been through this so many times before, and I think you've had a couple now where Ed has been serious and has asked about the floods, and it, I think, has struck a much better tone. And when you are talking about that... Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> when you are talking... When you're talking about serious things in a serious way, it is harder for the boo boys of, of the other side or, or either side to sort of make it into a pantomime. And I hope it stays, but it probably won't. Uh, what do you make of Burko then? Because he's seen as being quite good for backbenchers, isn't he? Yeah, I like him. Um, he, he's, he's helpful. And I think he genuinely does, whether, whether he succeeds or not, or whether anyone, and whether anyone can succeed, but he genuinely does want to make Parliament sort of slightly more accessible and more relevant at a time when, you know, frankly, I remember I, I worked through some of the last Labour government and this is kind of my, my failing, but, you know, Parliament was not always seen as the, you know, the, the place to be or the, or the thing to take and, and that's, that is a problem. That's a problem for 
uh, well, you see how it's manifesting itself. I mean, people have got such low, low expectations of politicians and the process, and we all lose. Those people lose. We all lose if that, if that is con- allowed to continue sliding. You're, you're obviously elected at the last uh, election, but you've been involved in politics for quite some time. Have you noticed more antipathy towards you as an individual for being a politician from the general public or constituents? Well, not in Barrows so far, but we'll test that out at the, <laughs> in May of next year. Um, I, I, hope, I think it is often like the old thing that we used to talk about in government about hospitals, about people's opinion of the National Health Service and about their local hospital. Yeah. And I talk to a lot of my colleagues and like, they work bloody hard. And actually, I, I think often the people who they're helping, the communities who they're working with to do stuff, recognise that. But you ask them about MPs um, and they absolutely hate us. Um, I mean, we're, my... My wife is um, got Facebook friends, and um, you know sometimes they will start on on these discussions on Facebook about bloody MPs are all scum. They all take this stuff, and and then and that's then just your missus. Well, yes, quite. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there we are. <laughs> and Mandy will say, oh, you know, I'm on, excuse me, oh, say, oh yeah, but not John. I mean, we don't mean John. And but I, I and I, I don't think that is particularly about me. I think on an individual level, I think a, a, a whole lot of MPs, and I can see why because I see them on both sides of the house. Actually, mm. they work hard and they kind of want to do the, the right thing. I mean, the people on the other side are obviously deeply misguided in the way that they want to do it but you know they do have, you know it's a shame isn't it because I, I think everyone in, I hope everyone in this room or the majority of people in this room would realize that most politicians are driven by a desire to do public good and actually that politics is a good broadly positive thing we understand its failings but I think most of us I hope would would sort of agree with that sentiment how does politics then because in my lifetime there's and throughout history there's just been a steady decline in the public's view of politicians yeah. it's nothing new but it does feel like <laughs> successive scandals and problems uh, have made it worse is there any hope uh, of politics actually attaining any sort of greater standing in the public arena or is just this just the way it's always going to be well we have to hope that there is, because we are here and we are in the Labour Party because we are optimists, and sometimes we have to be to get us through. Um, but um, uh, we believe in the power of co- people coming together to change things. Um, and the thing is that decisions are going to get made. Um, people will make decisions in Parliament, in government, and they will affect people's lives. And in a democracy, we are, we are blessed to live in a democracy, but people can either take part and be engaged in that or not, but the decisions will still be made if they're not part of it, and they'll be more likely to be made against them if they are not part of the, part of the process. I mean, which, is why, which is what I say, always say, for example, uh, to young people. I was at Tessa Jowell's uh, lecture about politics and the media yesterday, and she had a frightening statistic, something about only... I think she said only 11% of 18 to 24-year-olds currently say they are certain to vote. Mm-hmm. And, and that means that, you know, if, if you are in a, tight, in a tight election, and, you know, it, it is... You, it, those people, by any party, are more likely not to get the deal unless they go out and actually say, well, we're going to cast our ballot, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do for us? Well, I, and I could never answer this when I worked for Labour, and it's not just for Labour, it's for, for all parties, how do you reach out to those people, to, you know, the, the people that never vote? Yeah. 
Is there any hope of inspiring those people? Or maybe the people that might have voted, but like those young people who, who, who aren't necessarily inspired. Is we, there a single answer to it? Or is there, it just... There's no single answer, but, um, but we, we got stuck in a rut. We, we got into this decline, and, and the, the expenses crisis accelerated it. But it had been going on for a, a long time before that. I think people just thought that... People like us just didn't weren't talking the same language. They weren't they weren't communicating the right way. They seemed like automatums, and that sort of that model of doing politics, where you had a line coming from the centre, you went out to a pager, or then you advanced to a text message, and you go and went onto the onto the broadcast media, and you gave that line, and you didn't deviate from it. People just sort of see through it now, and and the and the I think I mean I am the reason I'm optimistic is. You look, at, you look at the way that channels of communication are, are, are opening up and you look at, you look at social media um, and, and, and the greater plurality that we can have of existing media and, and it enables, it, it empowers, one, it empowers most importantly voters themselves, so we have, we have to talk more, but also I think you can't hide, in the, you can't fake it in the same way as you maybe could mm. in previous generations. You, know, you look at the likes of the sort of 1950s American, American presidential campaigns where you could just create, completely create a persona um, and stick it on the billboards and that was it. And that is the thing that got elected. It's a golden age. <laughs> you can't do it anymore. I mean, if you will get found out. And, yeah. and so it, it ought to bring a greater authenticity. And I, think, and I think people like me and of our generation, and, and well, anyone who's in Parliament now, have got to sort of... I think they've got to recognise that. And they've got to... They've got to be a bit bold and tough it out, I think. There's um, a sort of double-edged sword with social media. It definitely makes people more accountable. Yeah. And people just can contact, not just politicians, but you know, pop stars it's around. Them, you know, it's it's, it's, it's yeah. great in that regard. <laughs> but equally, isn't there something where... And I understand that this is the sort of movement of, you know, the movement of the times, uh, so I don't think you should ever be against the sort of flow of the people. But online engagement isn't quite the same, is it? You know, no. liking something on Facebook isn't the same as going to a town hall meeting and really sort of getting involved in community. Isn't there a danger that we sort of transplant all our campaigning online and actually it becomes less inspirational as a result? Well, where Facebook is, is, is brilliant, and, you know, so many, I guess, of you in the audience will have had similar experiences. Facebooking it, it, ex-girlfriends at 4am. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I was going to say, and let me tell you about... No. Um, no. Um, we, uh, it enables it enables town hall meetings and groups to get together in a you know in a schoolroom in at, at zero or twenty four hours notice in a way that was just never possible before. Our hospital campaign, we said, look, there's a threat to our hospital. You get the message around thousands of of uh, worried mums and dads, and they turn up at the school hall and they form a plan mm -hmm. and they hold people to account. And it is brilliant. It is brilliant for that. But it and, and it does put, I think. Less so Facebook, but Twitter definitely. It puts you can you can see a mile off when someone else is tweeting <laughs> for you, and and yeah. and it does put an onus I think on politicians to sort of be themselves. I mean that can be disastrous, obviously. <laughs> and I realise you know at some point if we can just sort of if we can all accept that I'm going to completely crash and burn at some point. <laughs> but because I've said that. I'll be kind of forgiven and kind of brought back <laughs> and, and won't. Um, but, but I just think you've got to do it. You've got, because if you try to get, if you get your, I mean, the, the, the funniest one was Chris Hoon, wasn't it? When he, he got his, 
I don't know who it was, I don't know if the intern in the office, but basically did a kind of what I'm doing today, and it usually involved, today I'm in meetings in my department. <laughs> and, I mean, this is just, but you can also, people who pretend, um, yeah. you know, I have had, some, you know, some, some politicians from par parties other than mine who may be reasonably close to me geographically, um, who really, you know, whose researchers have sort of tried to do a pretty good fake of being that person yeah. and contacting me in a quite intimate way. But that, but... <laughs> no, 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 yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 not like that, not like that. No, 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 well, well, back up, back up, in a personal way, in a personal way. Oh, my God. Tell no, me all about no, it. No, I'm, I'm, now I'm definitely not naming the person. <laughs> but that politician has been sat next to me um, at, in a meeting, uh, and they've sort of been found out that way, and it will come back to bite you. So I, I said this week on Twitter uh, that we should all, all of us MPs, take a pledge um, not to allow any third party to tweet on our behalves. Do you, the danger of Twitter, obviously, is that you can get abuse. Do you yes. get much stick on there? No, I'm... I'm so f Well, we'll see how after this goes. But um, <laughs> um, I, am, I am really lucky because I'm male. And I just... My friend, I don't know if Stella is, is here now, and, and, and Liz, and, and I mean, some of the women politicians, they get just dog's abuse. It is appalling. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> yes, 4am, <laughs> stay away. That is the other thing, that is the other, that is the other pledge that all MPs, you must, after a certain time and a certain number of units of alcohol, you must, must put Twitter down and you must not tweet because it, you always will regret it in the morning. Uh, uh, see, I get a bit of abuse on Twitter, so I just thought it was a universal thing. Oh, well, um, oh yeah, no, no, it happens to, I mean, I, yeah, it happens to us all. It's nothing about you personally, Mike. Honestly, <laughs> all of us. I mean, um, I'm quite. You obviously a recent uh, addition to the House of Commons, relatively, um, and there's particularly, I think, in since 2005, there's been a general feeling that uh, there's a new political class, and Peter Oborn talks about this in his sort of many volumes. Uh, of people who were students, worked for MPs, became special advisors, became MPs, and then ended up either in the shadow cabinet or in the cabinet. And uh, that's a career path that you've sort of followed. Um, do you think that's a... No. Well, you haven't no, look, no, look, look, hang on a minute, because I was totally in the real world, because I was a journalist first. <laughs> and look, and look, I was a reporter on The Scotsman. And frankly, if Andy Burnham can get away with that line in the leadership election, then I can too. He did it, and I can do it, and I am sticking to it. Do you, I am totally down with it, I'm real. But do you think this... But this but I think you are. I think the, the problem is, is when we generalise about special advisors, that actually lumps in a lot of people. But it certainly goes well to describe a certain... It feels like, you know, the sort of Cameron, Clegg, maybe the Miliband brothers sort of feel like they're off the same conveyor belt. Is, that, is that fair and do you think it's a problem? That what there definitely needs to happen is we need to broaden out. And we've got, we've got to find a way to do it. Um, not this sort of... Not this this sort of particular trade union. Uh, we want all working class shortlist, by which they don't mean all working class shortlist, because they mean trade union officers. Who I mean, we need, you know we should have more trade union officers. Look, we should maybe have more trade union officers in in, in Parliament, but not you know. Um, because I sometimes have this kind of co this conversation with my dad, who is in favour of all working class shortlists, and I say, what you mean like? Um, 
Alan Milburn, because he was... No, I don't mean Alan Milburn. Do you mean, like, you know, Alan Johnson and, 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 uh, and John Reed? No, not them. Um, <laughs> so, but we, we need to open it up, because we are... The, the way that we are selecting, uh, the way that we are selecting uh, candidates is, is too closed. Um, and it does give, it gives the advantage. I mean, look, God, I should know. We all sort of, all the people who got here, we all used the system as we could to mm. get where, but in the past, the system has given the advantage to those who could sort of, you know, bust a gut, have a three-month, four-month-long campaign and just tough it out and through a kind of endurance test, become the candidate. But that doesn't work for uh, a mum, you know, a single mum with two kids. And, and so if we are actually serious about opening up Parliament, that is the way we've got to do it. We've got to change. Labour has got to change its selection process, which I'm, I'm really glad that I think we are, we are looking towards doing that. The cha- there are some good changes sort of below, the, below the surface of the main proposals this week that actually do need to make it easier for normal people... Um, obviously, I'm <laughs> totally normal. Um, more normal people from a wider, uh, wider diversity of backgrounds to be able to get to get in and become MPs. Because there's this sort of whole sense, isn't there, that Ed Miliband's going on about now that he wants an end to machine politics, as he mm. calls it, mm. um, which is very hard uh, when sort of almost p- political parties, by the nature, are machine-like. Uh, you know, they have their hierarchies, they have their organisers, they have the way of sort of doing business. Do you think there's been a problem, though, where maybe former special advisers have had not just the ability to run longer campaigns, but maybe arguably preferential treatment in getting better seats? Well, I, I worked very hard uh, to, for, to, <laughs> to persuade the people of Baron Furness to select me, and I'm very glad they did. But the, there will always be people who devote their life to politics from an early age. And that is not a bad thing, actually. I mean, I I think, you know, we actually want more people who are coming up from the age of 16 and have a burning passion to change the world. Yeah, we do. We honestly do. (laughs) You know, the likes of... You know, we do. No, they kind of, you know... Give him his due, William Hague. He's stuck with it. And look, he's he's foreign (laughs) secretary. But it's it's a good thing. You know, wanting wanting to serve your country and to make a difference in the community around you by being a member of the Labour Party and then maybe working for a member of and being part of Parliament. We can't start saying, you know, you people are the problem. Because if we start doing that, we'll make it even harder for um, people who are not already sort of on that track from, you know, being in nappies, uh, which, of course, I'm not suggesting that of any of the current political, uh, political <laughs> leaders. Um, we, we will make it harder for that, for that to happen, but it's got to be... They have got to take their even place amongst all of the other... Uh, the other types of people who what we need to get into Parliament because it's not representative. You look around, you look at, at Parliament and PMQs, and uh, you know it it it, it is, does not give us credit for to the nation for the kind of diverse and plural nation we are. Our benches are a bit better, well, much better actually, but we've still got a long way to go as well. Uh, in terms of um, your relationship with your constituents, then have you ever had a sort of Douglas Carswell moment where? You've sort of sprung into action and apprehended anyone? Oh, d- oh, don't make me tell the trade story. Oh, oh well, oh, you know, if you insist. Um, I, I, uh, well, I, 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 I was on a train uh, with my friend, uh, and there were some uh, rather rowdy 
um, uh, rather rowdy young men uh, sitting in the carriage who were being increasingly drunk and increasingly abusive. And I was really thinking, please don't be my constituents, please. Don't. But you kind of could, you know, they yeah. were my because you could, even though we talked at Lancaster, you, you know, you knew. Um, and um, uh, and um, uh, it's when the sort of, when the chat got racist that I thought, no, no, this is off. I've got to go and sort this out. Um, and I um, I went and said, look, this is not on. Um, you you can't say this. And they sort of didn't quite know what to do. And and they and they and uh, and when we got to the final destination, this, the guy kind of realised he'd. Um, He'd, uh, he'd lost out, so he thought, he, he, he was in front of his mates, he thought, well, what do, and, and he kind of, um, and, and so he offered me out for, um, uh, for, for a fight, do you want to step outside, and, and, and oh, I said, oh yeah, it's my stop. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I thought saying yes would be a bad idea, um, so I said, um, you know, don't do that, you'll regret it, by which I obviously <laughs> meant... I obviously meant because I'm a member of Parliament and, and my friend happens to be a reporter for the Northwest Evening Mail. But he didn't realise this. He didn't recognise Can you believe it? He didn't recognise it. <laughs> uh, he said, What? Are you a fucking black belt in karate, mate? Um, which, uh, holy shit. Uh, but he ended, he ended up. Well, yeah, you say holy shit, but because, uh, I mean, I, all of this, my, the adrenaline was pumping, it seems fine. Uh, 48 hours later, they released a CCTV, and he was, he was enormous. I mean, this guy was absolute. I was thinking, what on earth was I thinking? But at the time, you know, keep cool, because he keeps that down, because if you stand up, you're going to get lamped. Um, so he kind of went re- re- quite, you know, to go, so he sort of, in a quite, I'm sure he doesn't. Well, he might. I mean, obviously, everyone like, listens to your podcast, but I'm hoping he doesn't. <laughs> because he is one of... I'm here guessing I still would like him to vote for me <laughs> next year. But in sort of quite a girly way, he sort of shoved his bag into my face. Uh, but that did constitute assault, and it was caught on camera, and he, you know, he, he, he uh, pleaded guilty, and there we are. Oh, my God. Yeah. Were you scared at that point? Um, I was a bit scared afterwards. Um, <laughs> what if, no, if you'd have properly started, what would you have done? Um... Got completely pulped. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean you also you kind of have a real like you know I had the presence of mind to keep keep sitting down uh, because it's like it's harder to sit. Uh, if I'd had if I'd had any glasses to hand, I would have put them on as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you sort of knew. Well, you were in a station. You sort of knew. I mean, I do think the kind of you know the the train guard. I'm sure he was just busy in the other carriage. I'm sure he would have come to my aid. But you knew there was a train guard, so you knew it kind of like any kind of machinations couldn't last for long. So. In the back of your head, you must have sort of been thinking, Prescott. No. Prescott. <laughs> I'm a black belt, actually, mate. You must have been tempted to sort of... I mean, you'd have been a national hero if you knocked him out. John Prescott is a bit bigger than I am. And, and, and he's... Left hook is probably better than mine. Mine hasn't been put to the test in some years. I'd love I, to, I would love to see you knock someone out. <laughs> but just on TV, you know, someone said the MP, John Woodcock, got started on and he sparked him out. <laughs> be great. Just have that in your back pocket, maybe. Yeah, well. Do a bit of training, a bit yeah, of pad well. work. Oh, OK. Um, <laughs> sort of, I mean, it is... See, I, what I sort of fear, maybe I sort of fear vicariously on MPs' behalf, that the, the public... Maybe I'm sort of wrong about public opinion, but the public opinion is so sort of visceral and angry towards MPs yeah. that this is sort of like a daily 
Do you walk down the street, do people say, hello, John? Or do they go, oh, bloody hell. No, no. <laughs> well, cos I walk down the streets of Barrow and everyone's nice, cos everyone's nice in Barrow and we generally get on. I walk down any other street and no-one has a slightest clue who I am, so, you know. So you never, in your constituency, people don't ever, like, shout abuse or anything like that? On the doorstep when you knock on people's doors? Um, I got one. I got one guy. It was it was a while ago, um, and he said, uh, "You know, you lot. Um, we only ever see you at election times." And I said, "Well, this is 2011. It's you know, it's four years." Till the- yes, but you know, um, <laughs> no. The people of Bowen Furness are nice people, and they are generally, or if they are generally nice to people who, t- who turn up on their doorsteps. You even sometimes give them cups of tea. <laughs> so obviously, before you were an MP, uh, you worked for Gordon Brown. Before that, in 2005, which is my favourite election. Um, a modern classic. Oh, just, because it's, just because it was sort of like, it was post-Iraq. Blair was aged, tanned, grey, cross-clopped hair. Suits that fit into a millimetre. Oh, you see, I knew we were going to get on. Oh. We hadn't met before, I knew we oh. were going to get on. It's my favourite. I would give, uh, for 2005 all over again, over 97, definitely. Down and dirty, <laughs> a massive rumble, posting. Kind of... Oh, my God, what is going on out there on the that streets? Is, like, OK... Oh. That is like saying, be here now is your favourite oasis. It is! It is! It is! Oh, it is. All around the world. Give me an eight-minute long intro with rockets taking off and all that shit. Oh. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. And you were central. To, you were sort of right in the middle of it. Uh, I, I, I was in the political research task force. I was a, I was a, a junior researcher uh, who had the privilege of sitting in... Uh, the big in, chair? Well, occasionally, <laughs> occasionally, when Alistair wasn't in it, you could sort of sneak in. Uh, it <laughs> had to be in very early to do that, but, you know, we were so keen. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was, it, it was amazing. You, you, I mean, that was Electric Campaign. You had uh, Alan, Alan Milburn there. You had um, Alistair Campbell, who was just brilliant. And you had yeah. Philip Gould. What a wonderful, wonderful oh, human being yeah. he was. Um, I... We miss him in the Labour Party, and you know, just so many. Of, you know, I know because I know a lot of my mates are here. They were his mates, and we deeply, deeply miss him. Mm. It was exceptional. Um, Milburn was always a funny one for me because I thought, you know, he sort of talked that sort of northeast way, <laughs> but he, all his body movements was just sort of, you know, Blair, but with a sort of different. <laughs> if you sort of, he was always sort of, you know, Blair was always sort of. Like that, and of course that's the way that he would talk, and if you'd sort of turn the volume down and turn it back the, again, you know, sort of Alan Milburn going and sort of... We always... <laughs> we, we <laughs> there, there was a sketch once about how Alan Milburn... Uh, I think it was maybe a Simon Hoggett sketch, I don't know, but it was, it was a sketch about how he would sit when he was, like, so could you say, on the mm. bench yeah. uh, with his legs Balls apart. <laughs> like two great tortoises. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Obviously, uh, us sort of boysies in the, in the political research task force thought had, this was quite, you know, quite cool. He had a great uh, politician's trick, Milburn. If I remember going to conferences when there'd be like a thousand people there, and he'd make it feel like it was a sort of private briefing thing. And he'd sort of stand on stage at a conference where there were journalists and the media. And he'd go, "I'd, I'd like you, um, I'd like you to let you in on a secret, if that's okay." I'd like you to share what I've been talking about this morning with the Prime Minister. And you're like, ooh, I'm, I'm going to top-level briefing from Alan Milburn that I could watch if I was at home. That I feel sort of, he had a sort of wonderful way about him, didn't he, Milburn? But you were, you were there at the sort of heart of it. It yeah. was a very bitter... It became bitter between Blair and Howard, didn't it? Because until then, actually, 
uh, I'm not sure people know this, Blair and Howard had gotten quite well. When Blair first became an MP, Howard would have him round for dinner. He sort of couldn't understand why Blair was Labour. Um, well, I ugly got in there mean? early, yeah. Um, he, um, Ridiculous he, human being. But then, but then what happened was, uh, in 2005, when Howard called him a liar over Iraq, yeah. sort of personal relationship really froze. Yeah. Was, I mean, compared to other election campaigns, obviously that was one that you were centre of, did it feel like a real dogfight, that campaign? It, it was dirty. It was Linton Crosby. It was the, the, the election then, they brought Linton Crosby over. And actually, what that showed is that there, there could be a sort of, a, a sort of basic... If you're not, it, there could be a sort of basic effectiveness of the campaign, but it showed you can beat it because it's not sophisticated, this Tory campaign. It's nasty. And actually, if we are the change and we are on the centre ground, we can beat it. That's what happened in 2005. It's what can happen next year. Because he, he wants to run the same campaign again. He wants to run that 2005 nasty, nasty immigration dog whistle campaign and transport it into, uh, into Cameron. But, you know, we can... We can a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's odd is that in 2005, uh, it really felt like Blair had sort of nailed the Tories on immigration. I remember him saying on the steps of number 10 that, you know, he never wanted to see immigration used in that way again. Fast forward to 2010, and actually, a lot of people think that immigration is the reason Labour lost, and that actually Labour had stopped communicating with the people, certainly on the levels of Polish immigration, and this is where UKIP made inroads, it's yeah. where the BNP at a local level can make mm -hmm. inroads, and certainly in sort of former Labour heartlands. It's odd that in those five years, things sort of changed, and obviously that was embodied, really, Labour's attitude, as some felt it, uh, were Gordon Brown's comments to Gillian Duffy. Um, mm. Now, you'd been a special advisor to Gordon Brown in the sort of years running up to that. When you saw that clip on TV, what was your gut reaction? I'm so glad I'm not a special advisor to Gordon Brown anymore! <laughs> <laughs> um, was my first reaction. Uh, no, at, by that stage, I was the candidate in Bonafit, and frankly, all of national politics had been turned off. All I cared about was the Northwest Evening Mail and, um, and Bay Radio and BBC Radio Cumbria, and everything else could really swing. Um, uh, but this was the thing that caught through and uh, that cut through, and I was, I was devastated by it because I thought this is awful. Uh, this will speak to you know every, all of the actually I thought unfounded perceptions of the party but it was there in in crystal clear audio and we'd get absolutely crucified for it my staff members were sort of you know more philosophical and some of them sort of saw a kind of dark humor in it which I wasn't having I was very cross about but um, you, you, the way it played out I mean there were, it was it was it was nasty to see and it was nasty to see well you know you saw Gordon's reaction when he was play the tape and it was just yeah uh, and and then you saw Gillian Duffy, Mrs. Duffy mm. herself being told, uh, which was really heartbreaking to see her, but actually it didn't sort of derail the campaign in quite the way, um, it, because it was pretty much all, already off the tracks. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, uh, um, 
But yeah, but you know, I was but very glad I wasn't there. It, 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 it did sort of. It's, it's wrong for Goodman to sort of embody everything the Labour Party stands for, of course. But a lot of people felt that actually that was a view widely held amongst Labour people that actually, if you ask a question about European immigration or about immigration in general, you must be a bigot. Mm. Do you think that's fair? Do you think there are actually? Do you think there has been a failing on the left to address issues with immigration? Yeah, there has and been. To, there has lampoon... been. And, and and look to Ed's great credit, he has he's recognised this and wants to and wants to change the debate. And we have got to actually. It's not. It's not enough doing just doing one speech or putting out one. Like we've got to mean this, and we have got to understand that people's lives have been made more complex and sometimes more difficult by by immigration and the economic boom, uh, the uh, the ec- the long period of economic growth which which it got had a downside for many people. In, uh, who were in manual jobs or skilled jobs, but suddenly found that they were struggling to, to, earn, the, to earn a living. And I think another thing which it did was actually, when you, have, when you had a workforce which was prepared to come in, job ready, hungry to do stuff, it probably made some of the, um, some of the urgency of... Um, of welfare reform, of social changes in social security. Uh, this isn't being recorded, is it? Um, <laughs> yes, it is, yeah. Ah, okay. uh, changes in social security. Um, a um, less... It, it, we should have, you know... We, we should have done them faster and we should have done them earlier and we should have got, f- got further than, than, we, than we did because actually it is the people who lost out most, probably even more than the British plumbers who found their wages, um, who found their rates really cut. It was those people that had been stuck on benefit and actually it was going to be difficult to give them the support and maybe the push that they needed to get into work at the best of times. But when you have... You know, a whole group of, of polls who come over and say, look, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready to, I'll do it, and, 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 and off I go. Then it made more difficult, but we failed. You know, we were, we were at risk of, uh, of not doing the right thing for, for those people by, by, you know, not pushing, not pushing on, uh, on, the, on the, the welfare reforms, the changes to incapacity benefit that I was part of. Uh, in, in the work of pensions, working for John Hutton, that we did in, you know, in 2007, 2008, but we should have done it earlier. We got scared off by, the, uh, by the, the really crude and wrong attempt to do it in 1998. So what is, the, what is the policy response to this then? Because obviously in general, when you sort of campaign against UKIP or certain elements of the Tory party, you can sort of wax lyrical about the general benefits of immigration and the multicultural society and the benefits of the health service and yeah. just British culture in general. But when you're on the doorstep, maybe in a by-election or you know, a Labour candidate fighting in an area where UKIP is strong, where there's been high levels of Eastern European immigration, yeah. where there's a perception or indeed a reality that a lot of jobs are now taken by those people, what on earth do you say to people face-to-face when they say, I can't get a job yeah. because there's loads of immigrants here? Well, you have to say that change is a fact of life. Britain has changed. It's going to keep changing. But we have got to be much better at helping you get the the tools that you need and the incentives you need to get into work. And we cannot allow you to feel that you are locked out of the labour market and you are being stopped from getting on in life. And that is is the problem, I think, that... No, we didn't have the full answer to it, uh, and that was one of the reasons, I think, why why we lost. And this lot now... have. I've got nothing like the answer to, to it. But I think un, until we, until politics and until people 
can better engage in that massive change, not deny, not sort of turn back the clock and say we can go back to this, you know, England, uh, the, the sort of all-white England of, of beautiful villages which never existed in the first place, but say that we are, we are in a multicultural nation, we're gonna, and that's, a, that's part of Britain's strength, uh, it's what part of what makes us great. But we, if you're, you know, if if you're here, then we've got to give you, you know, sometimes more of a push, sometimes more tough love, but more support, um, and not, you know, not walk away and not let you lie and rot on benefits, which is what which is what happened under, you know, for example, in Barrow in the 1990s. Um, the, we are still from, from the early 1990s uh, when there were 10,000 redundancies in Barrow Shipyard. Um, those people, there was, there was almost an explicit policy. You talk to the people in the Department of Work and Pensions, they say there was an explicit policy to move those people off the unemployment register onto the sick, onto sickness benefit, because you can massage your figures out yet. And those people were left, nothing, no help was given. And after two years, you are more likely to die or retire than ever get another job. And that is an appalling failure of human beings. And the left has got to recognise that social security changes, it can be tough, but it's about actually giving people the chance to make something of their lives and to work again. It has to be a bit of both, doesn't it? Obviously, you can't have people getting benefits they're not entitled to or mm. being incentivised into actually what is a logical decision. If it makes you make more money on benefits... It makes more sense to stay on benefits than going to work. Um, but you also need to create jobs for people, don't you, in, yeah. in local areas? Yeah. Um, and Gordon Brown sort of came unstuck, didn't he, with British jobs for British workers and that whole business. How, I mean, I, I still sort of struggle to understand where in an, an area of high immigration, how do you sort of guarantee that enough local people will get those jobs in the short In the long term, you can educate yeah. people, build an academy or whatever. In the short term, what do you do for those people? Well, what he was doing, and this is a sort of, the, the difficulties often with any political slogan that's sort of ever been made, ever be made, ever. It sort of translates into something, um, you try to, you make it simple uh, so it can cut through, and then it sort of, it, it suggests a simplicity to a problem uh, which is actually quite complex. And what mm. he was, he was articulating exactly what we should have been, what we should be about, uh, which was allowing uh, Brits who are who are here um, to be able to have the tools to get into work and the opportunities to get into work, but it was sort of translated into we are going to ring fence those jobs for you, which you know you, you, you it's very difficult to do. Um, you worked for Gordon Brown as a special advisor. Yeah. Um, what was your relationship with him like? It was good. And I didn't know, but I didn't know how it was going to be because I had been John Hutton's advisor and John and Gordon had been on the, had had some pretty difficult, um, difficult heads to heads over pension reform and, I mean, and, and John was sort of spectacularly briefed against um, uh, for, uh, for quite a long time by, you know, various people in, in Team Gordon or one person or whatever. Um, and uh, <laughs> let's not go there. Um, oh, so, so, when I was, <laughs> uh, so when I was... I was, I was leaving. Um, I was... Uh, um, John was saying, Governor, I, I was about to have... Uh, we were about to have our first baby. I was going to go and do something sensible. You and John? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were close, but, you know, it's just not that type of fella. Um... Uh, Mandy and I were, my wife Mandy, before you get, get on that one, um, um, we were going to have our first baby, I had to go get a, you know, a sensible job, so I was leaving, and, and John, and I, but the closer it got, the sadder I was getting, because I didn't want to go, and then John, 
John got his um, what well, was his dream job to be defence secretary. I would just have loved to be advisor yeah. to the, the Secretary of State for Defence. Fantastic, so guns I was and tanks. Deeply, <laughs> <laughs> and defence of the realm, and, oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and uh, keep it, keeping people safe. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, I was just. I was really sad because you, I mean, reshuffle day is, I mean, I think it is, if you're in, in there, it, I mean, it's awful because everyone's excited about who's yeah, the next yeah, big yeah. thing and, and who's going where. And if you're leaving, you just feel awful. You want someone to sort of drink with, but, you know, no one wants to drink with you because you're out. Um, <laughs> so I was literally, I was packing, um, I, was, I was packing up my stuff and just feeling dreadful about the world. Hmm. And I got this text message saying, Gordon wants to see you come over. And there'd Ooh. been this sort of conversation <laughs> with so, there'd been <laughs> there'd been this conversation with with someone a couple of days later and a couple of days before and and it was about and I couldn't really work out what it was about um, which is you know, can often be the case when you go into the centre and and, um, um, and and so I wasn't expecting the kind of what and and he. And I went to see Gordon, and he said, well, you know, do you, what do you want? Uh, do you want to come and what do you think? Well, actually, the first thing he said was, because um, I had, he'd been seeing, I mean, this is like my sort of like stars in, stars in your eyes moment, because you'd grown up, grown up with New so Labour, like Peter be. Mandelson, <laughs> Peter Mandelson, Gordon Brown, Tony Blair. I go into the den um, in number 10, quite a big thing. Uh, coming out of the den, the Prime Minister's den, is Peter Mandelson, quite a big thing. He mm. says, oh, hello, John. Um, uh, and so the first thing that Gordon says was, uh, how do you know Peter? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then he said, you want to come and work for me? Mm. So actually, too right, of course I do. Amazing. And, you know, so they had the conversation with Mandy, my Mandy, um, saying, <laughs> well, you know, we had this plan and, you know, we're having a baby next month and, you know, it's going to be difficult and I'm going to be a great dad, but I'm going to work for the Prime Minister and there we are. So it's odd in... <laughs> is that okay? No, wait, 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 wait. Is that okay? What do you think about it? And, and she said, um, John, I think that's absolutely right. Um, it's going to be difficult, but I totally support you. And I said, well, that's good, Mandy, because it was our choice together and I'm really glad that we have made it. Because um, I think this comes out on a podcast and Mandy can't be here, she's in Barrow, but she's saying she's going to listen. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> It must have been... What I find odd sometimes about people who are certainly advisors in politics is that you sort of always have to deny you've got any ambition because they're sort of... You're doing a serious job. But obviously, going to politics, you sort of want to get to the top, don't you? When you're appointed as a special advisor to the Prime Minister, working in number 10, just like walking the street. I mean, Lee, you go up the street, you go up the street every day and you go in the black door every day and you sit within two, three yards of the... Sometimes more if necessary... Uh, of, of, of the Prime Minister... <laughs> Um, and it's incredible, and you get to see amazing people, and it, it, it's just, it is an extraordinary, and I mean, it was an incredibly turbulent year. I was political spokesman for Gordon Brown all through the expenses crisis, which, you know, I sort of wouldn't wish on, you know, on, on, on lots, but it was, it was amazing, and what an incredible privilege to do. I mean, extraordinary. I will you know, never have a chance like that again. People... Um talked about his temper. There was a lot written in the rules that he put at the end of the party about yeah. it, sort of physically grabbing older people and throwing things. Um, did you see or experience any volatility? Uh, occasionally. Um, less, less actually than you would, than I was expecting from the, from the stories. Mm. 
nine times out of ten, he was just furious with himself, and it wasn't directed. Mm. I don't know whether if this had sort of been channeled by the time I'd got in, and you know, enough sort of you know stuffers had been wheeled out that <laughs> no, no, but it was no. I, don't, I think nine times out of ten, it, it, he was furious with himself. So when if he had a bad PMQs, which you know, if I remember, did happen from time to time, um, if he had a bad PMQs, um, it could be like. Slam, thump, 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 in a door, in an office door, slam, thump. Um, and he was just really furious with himself because he thought he had, because he thought he'd messed up. But it made actually all of us wanted to work hard and work harder and do better. And he was our prime minister. I mean, you can't go, you can't go into number ten half-hearted. You are working for the prime minister of the United Kingdom, the Labour prime minister of the United Kingdom. That is an incredible privilege that I will tell my children and hopefully my grandchildren about. And and you and so you do everything you can for that human being, and you want. You want a Labour government because you know that, the, the, as as my again the sort of good friend who we deeply miss, David Cairns would 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 say, um, the the worst day of a Labour government uh, is better than the best day of a Tory one, and 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 so. <laughs> Alan's getting annoyed yeah. with his mates. And can we <laughs> turn on you, Alan? But this is a deeply plural audience, of course. <laughs> And, and I'm sure that the staff member who's here from Conservative Central Office, because I have been told that there, there is one, and he's probably taping this, will, will, you know, will be nodding politely at this or clapping or... or uh, anyway, let's go on. Ooh, um, so we've got a, well, the thing is, it's podcasted, so if anyone's coming to record it... Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you do want the audio, let me know, and I'll let you They're know not in, always, in HD. Uh, They're not always as sharp as political <laughs> operators, you, these guys. Obviously, you, sort of end, you end up in number 10, you've got a certain amount of ambition, then you go into uh, Parliament. Hmm. Did some part of you at any point, or does it still want to be leader of the Labour Party, want to be Prime Minister? Um, Maybe a bit of me, but then I fell off a ladder and um, got dropped on my head, and now I'm sort of feeling kind of lucky to be alive, and I've had a whole new reboot and rethink about life. Jenny, I'm more like one of those sort of irritating people with a zeal in their eye that talk about the power of exercise and... Blair! And, <laughs> and how great it is not to be obsessed with your Blackberry. I mean, Mandy now tells me about the times when, you know, my little girl, my eldest, she didn't really like me very much when I was an advisor. I mean, she was be sort of, she would get, she was only little, but she got irritated when we ran and she would used to come up to me, toddle up to me, and take away my BlackBerry and put it away. And I just think, I'm so glad that I am a better, you know, I could be a better dad to her than that now because, you know, I, I love spending time with my kids. And you sort of, you get sucked into the world sometimes and it sort of becomes your overriding focus and it's all you see. And you miss out on so much of life. You do, but I suppose there's a sacrifice for that, isn't there? That in, in the short term you're doing something very important and mm -hmm. you feel sort of totally driven and there's something exciting about it. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you mentioned the falling off a ladder and bumping your head, which literally did happen. Uh, <laughs> no, um, no it, was a it was a genuine <laughs> physical ladder, not um, sort of. Not, I didn't get. I'm not a front bencher anymore because I got sacked. I fell off the ladder and then I was, you know, took um, myself off the ladder. But you, you, but you fell off, and I, I don't know if people are aware of this. I'm sure um, people in the room who, who, who your friends do. But you were shadow minister for transport, mm. very sort of, still are bright and start a very promising political career, but resigned. Um, and we're very open about this, about the fact you were suffering with depression, which mm. I can't think of a single politician in my lifetime that's 
come out and said, I mean, I've heard people do it for family reasons or for reasons mm. they were given. No one has ever been up front and open. Well, what I did, what happened with me was I, I, I fell off the ladder. I could do very little. I had to just really struggle with my concentration to concentrate on the core of representing my constituents. And that was, you know, I could only concentrate for sort of 20 or 30 minutes at a time. I had to sleep a lot. So I sort of, I kind of was, was put on sick leave of being a shadow minister for a while. And actually, after, after a few months, the reason I resigned was at the time, it wasn't because I was a depressed it was because I couldn't do the job and I thought it was not fair to let the, the rest of the team just carry me because I didn't know how long this was going to take but then as sort of the months wore on I was, get, I was getting better, I was doing more in the constituency but there were long periods where well, if I did too much the next day, if I got to, or did a, um, you know, if I did something like this, I'd be on the floor the next day. And when I was on the floor, I would get, I would just feel really down. I would feel like, you know, nothing was, no, nothing was right. I hadn't done anything good. Um, and, and that, I think, so I think the, exa- the physical exhaustion of not being able to made me depressed. And I didn't recognise it. Again, it was Mandy, my wife, who said to me, look, I think this is what is happening uh, to you. Uh, you should think about doing, doing something about it. My initial reaction was, no way, can't do it, frontline politician can't. But then, you know, actually, I'm not the first. Um, the, re- the only reason, I think, why, first of all, I was able to even go to my GP and say, look, this is what is happening, please give me some drugs. Um, um, this, is what is, uh, this is what is happening. is because there had been... Um, that move, that Alistair Campbell had mm. come out and talked about his his depression. There had been a, the debate in the in the House of Commons around the idea that it's a time to change about how we think about mental health. And Kevin Jones, my friend, um, Labour MP, talked about um, you know his his suffering from depression. Charles Walker talked about his mental health mental health condition. And I thought, well, actually, if those people can stand up uh, in the House of Commons and talk about it, then. I, one, that has enabled me to even like do it privately. And I thought, well, am I going to talk about this? And I thought, well, when I, when I, when I fell off the ladder, uh, this is shameless, but when I, fell off the, when, I fell, when I fell off the ladder, I thought I was sort of had a... There was a couple of hours when I thought I broke my neck, but then I hadn't, and all was fine. And, and uh, um, I was tweeting how silly I've been, look at me in hospital. Um, the, my local paper, the Evening Mail, phoned up and said, can we come and take a photo? Sure, come yeah. on, bring the camera. So I was happy to sort of be in a hospital bed yeah. with, with my sort of bandages and kind of wave to the camera there. And I thought, actually, if we are serious, that this shouldn't be treated any different from a, a mental health condition, shouldn't be treated any different from a physical condition, then I should just be open about this as well. So got the pills, took the pills, wrote the blog, and then... <laughs> Um, yeah, it cha- you know, it changed <laughs> yeah, it overnight, and it gave me creative. Um, you know, no, and I'm glad. I think I'm glad I did it. The, re- the response has been lovely. A lot of the people in this room have been phenomenal to me. My constituents have been have been have been great. Random strangers. Uh, it, it's been it's been lovely. And 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 if if it does help. And some of my, you know, the, the thing which things which have meant most to me is uh, a few of my constituents have said to me, you know what, I've had this for, I've had sort of gruff blokes come up to me and say, you know, I've had this for for ages and I've never felt I should talk about it. And if it enables them to feel that bloke who was a black belt in karate, yeah, yeah well, <laughs> I'll maybe pop round and see if he wants to talk about. I'm not going to say, do you want to talk about mental health conditions? Um, 
Um, but have you, fa- have you faced... Uh, I mean, I, I've seen you interviewed about it by Andrew Neil, and it sounds like this wave of support has, has sort of been there for you. Have you faced any cynicism at all or, or negativity as a result? Um, they, no, uh, but... Well, well, I'm sure I have, but they, they have been good, nice enough not to say because they think, well, he's depressed, you might, you know, who knows. Um, but... Um, but have you uh, that but I, the, the Granada, uh, ITV, ITV Granada sent a, a crew up to, um, I just didn't expect any of this, sent a crew up to the streets of Barrow um, uh, to ask my lo- local constituents what they thought. Oh, my God. Um, and, and the other guys, well, the, the, worst, the worst that I've had to my face was, well, you know, we should just, you know, we, all, you know, we should just all, he should just get on with his job. Which was fine, because that's what I was saying. I was saying, look, I have this condition. I can still do the job. And I want to say, you know, I want to say, it, I, don't think, I don't think it is going to stop me doing the job. And I, you know, and, and I hope that that is what I'm able now to, to show in the stuff that I'm doing locally and, you know. Do you think it would going okay here? Do you think so it far? would um, stop you rising to high office? Do you think if you were you know, running for leadership, or maybe for to, you know if you were Labour leader going into a general election, do you think it's something that would be sort of used against you? It, do you think I, some I, of the, the, might the be one thing, of? the one thing I know now, and it's fine, I'm okay with it. The one thing I know is that I can't put the genie back in the bottle. I can sort of you know in ten years' time when you know, but um, it, it, hopefully if the people of Bow and Furness willing, I'm still the member of Parliament. Uh, for for Barrow and, and Ed is into his third term as leader and um, and I'm asked about the I'm asked about the you're making me depressed now um, Jesus actually give us those pills the, you know the thing <laughs> Matt I, I just don't think that making jokes about mental health is sort of appropriate yeah yeah you're right I mean I, no, I'm here I'm being open in front of all of these people about my mental health condition and you are making fun of me I feel you know a bit I'm really sorry it's okay, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but look I know I, I know um, I know that I can't put it and like people say and you know and how are you feeling it was ten years ago I'm fine I fell off a ladder got a bristle look stop asking me about it but look it's fine I would feel I would feel happy I'm taking pills now I'm on antidepressants you can see me Um, you know I'm maybe a little bit euphoric but well you know I'm sure I can get kind of like tied down but I, I would be happy to be to go in front of anyone and say well look this is me on drugs um, on antidepressants, <laughs> I'm okay. I can do yeah. the job. And actually, you, you, sometimes people are still saying it is a sign of how sick and difficult and like uh, what a problem we've got as a nation by judging the number of people that are on antidepressants. Well, actually, in my case, different people will want different things and deal with it in different ways. And many people may not need medication at all. They may, you know, talk things through. They may just like run a bit more. But but it, but it. I do not see that people choosing to address a chemical imbalance in their brain, is that's what I do have or whatever, by taking medication necessarily needs to be a bad thing. And so if I can talk about it and say, well, but look, I'm still okay, I can still do stuff, you know, hopefully, hopefully that does. You know, if it, if, it, if it stops me doing whatever, then maybe for the next person or the next person after that, it'll be different. But yeah, I'm enjoying life. Right, I'll, uh, I'd like to take questions from the floor, uh, so if we can just have the house like, slightly up. I'll start with uh, Alan. Alan, what's your question? I will have to repeat the questions, by the way, for the benefit of the podcast. I know it gets a little bit tiresome, me repeating what's said, but that's the way it is. Um, 
both touched on perhaps the two most important issues affecting the UK today. One is disaffected young voters, mm. and the other is a lack of skills which John was speaking about. Whether it's the Tory party or the Labour party, over the last 30 years, neither party has ever got down and actually addressed the problem. Uh, so uh, that's, uh, yeah, the, uh, Alan the token Northern Tory. Uh, he's asking about uh, lack of skills, about um, disaffected youth, and the fact that neither party has really addressed the root oh, problem. But, I mean, Alan, you are absolutely right. And, and other than the... Well, no, hang on. Um, I mean, other than the, the, the kind of um, the handkerchief in your pocket, you and I are as one on, on, on this. Um, but, I mean, this is... <laughs> Um, it, it, is, it, is a huge, it is a huge problem, and they're two sort of, maybe they're related, but they're, they're sort of different things. So just let me give you very brief thoughts on, on both. Um, the skills thing, um, we, have got to, we, we have got to do better at a really early age from actually um, changing our primary, uh, our, our pri- the way our primary schools work, on, on properly getting businesses and people from the outside into into talk to children from a really early age to say, look, these are the jobs of the future. It's really exciting in my patch, it'll be exciting in other places. And and this is what you need to do. These are the kind of things you need to do um, to be able to get there and actually enthuse people about it. That's part of the problem. Another problem I think we've really got, and I would like to find a way to tackle this, is the market, the way the market in higher education degrees is, is structured at the moment is not working because it is, it is in, the, it is the, in the profit incentive, well, the margin incentive of the university to pitch courses which are of short-term interest to students but which are not necessarily in their long-term career prospect interests is really big because they have got to make up the numbers to keep viable. And those, those students are not getting the right, the right advice. I mean, partly because careers advice has gone, was, nev- was never great, but has gone significantly backwards <laughs> under this government. Well, actually, well, I think the I think the bigger problem is a real problem is 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 handing is handing uh, careers guidance away from groups of uh, whole areas into individual schools who don't have the budget, they don't have the expertise to do it, and it's, so it's just not happening. And so they're not getting the guidance that they need. They're choosing courses which may not be in their interest, and and it's perpetuating the problem. And we've got to fix both of those things if we are serious about it. Uh, can I on on because you yeah, talked yes. about young people's disaffection as well. Um, we are not, you know, sort of kind of. I've kind of grown, grown a beard now, and I sort of get served in Alf licenses, and I'm loving it. <laughs> uh, but you know, even the sort of more youthful members of Parliament, we are not going to be the ones who, who, who reach out really to the 18 to 20. We we have got to find a way of 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 enabling of enabling people to think. Well, actually, we are the ones who hold the power either in national elections, local elections, or just getting stuff done in their communities. And there are brilliant stories. Uh, I mean, Stella, Stella and the Movement for Change stuff which is happening is, 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 is fantastic in many places. But this is about saying to people, you have got political power if you come together and decide what you want and organise to do it. And I think until we can change, until we can change that, we are going to keep having really awful levels of participation, which will go through the system as well. 
Okay. Um, I'll take uh, a few more from downstairs, uh, if we can. If we can keep the questions relatively brief and the answers relatively brief Sorry. as well, and we'll try and get uh, try and get around a few more people. Anyone else uh, from downstairs uh, with a question? Uh, anyone from this side? Yes, the man at the front. Is it true that Gordon Brown used to eat 20 Kit Kats a day? And if so, how is that managed? Just how is that? Uh, what, in, a well, in a kind of conveyor belt, sort of a, <laughs> a, a, a shovel of interns, sort of passing them one through, wrangling them, and, ch and putting them in and in and in and in and in. And in. No, no, I'm never going to eat 20. I've never heard that. That's so crazy. What I'm amazed at is you, you seem to I think mean, it's weird. like a Kit Kat, but, uh, but uh, you know. <laughs> I remember once, I was so, uh, it was, I've got a real thing for Kit Kats, uh, but I, I've often wondered, and I'm sure many of us have, whether advertising really works or not. I was in Edinburgh this year, walking down the street, a bus walked past that said Kit Kat Chunky, and I went immediately into a shop and bought one. Yeah. Uh, advertising works. Uh, right, uh, any questions upstairs, please? Yes, oh, yeah. first on the end. That was that was Hang brilliant, on. and I don't know. If, so this was what place does comedy have uh, in, in uh, part of political strategy? In part of political strategy, and it's central, and that's why you, Matt Ford, are our new secret <laughs> weapon. <laughs> oh, God, Jesus! Forget Doug <laughs> Douglas Alexander. You are it. We are going to wheel you out, and you are going to make people laugh into voting for. Ed Miliband and the Labour Party. <laughs> that, that is your destiny, Matt Ford. <laughs> ah, it's good job. You, you, you almost got away without me asking you about Ed Miliband. Um, uh, no, no, but hang on. The question was about <laughs> was about face look. That Facebook thing was brilliant. What was uh, it? Yeah, no, the Facebook. You know, when they did the takeoff of you know oh, this is your anniversary. That yeah. was that was brilliant. And the people who thought that up, I don't know if any of them in the room. Well done. <laughs> um, oh, you are. Stan Oh, it was you! Oh, there you go. Oh, congratulations. Well done. And well done for getting you the self-promotion. I thought, you know, that shameless. was... Shameless. Uh, Absolutely yeah. shameless. Um, I mean, when, when we screw it up, it's uh, the, the, almost the worst thing you could possibly do. But, you know, you, you're onto a, onto a winner, so keep it up. Um, it's, staying with comedy, then, let's, let's talk about Ed Miliband. Because... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not big, it's not clever. Um... How do you rate him as a leader? I think he's going to be our next Labour Prime Minister and he's going to be a good Prime Minister and he's going to win us the election and that is a massive achievement for anyone who frankly got the, most, uh, the, the, the level of appalling vote that we got in mm. 2010 and the level of disaffection with, um, with the whole political process. Um, he's going to do it. Um, is it fair to say that he's not really massively inspiring people at the moment. You know, this feels like an era where if Labour had a really effective leader, actually, we wouldn't be talking about 35%. We'd be genuinely talking about getting a, quite a significant majority of the last election. Well, name me a leader of the opposition who has... Uh, who, while being leader of the opposition, everyone has said, oh, yeah, it's fine. There'd be no questions uh, about it. Blair, wasn't yeah, Blair? No, totally yeah, agree. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Alan, um, naughty boy. If you look, <laughs> if you if you look, I'm going to end up like you. You know that, don't you? <laughs> I'm going to end up. Oh, I know it. It's just inevitable. I'm going to become a just one of those Tories that everyone likes. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Sir. If you look at the way. 
if you look at the way Ed has changed the terms of debate on a whole host of issues, that is really difficult to do from opposition. Mm. And he has managed it. And look, this is game on. We can win. And that is an amazing thing, because frankly, I didn't think we were going to be able to. I didn't think we were going to be able to, be able to when we somehow managed to avoid a sort of a, a tanking in number of seats in the way that we got on um, in the electoral share of the vote. Was I completely convinced when um, he won in 2010? Well, I'll admit now that maybe I you know, still had some reservations for a little while, and to his credit, he may be a shadow minister straight away. Um, and um, he's actually proving, you know, proving a lot of people wrong. Um, in terms of your like, personal interaction with him then, when you yeah. were a shadow minister for him, do you get the sense that he's got a vision for Britain, that he's driven, that... He sort of knows where he wants Britain to be, that he's clear about stuff like I think, that. No, I think, I think he does. I mean, I think the, the change that he wants in terms of the way the, the, way the economy is run, the fact it can, that, that we may be, you know, we, we maybe were to, and I can sort of say this as someone who was a big supporter of what happened, I mean, I think we maybe were a bit too relaxed about the idea that uh, there could be an explosion of wealth at the very, very top mm. of of society in Britain and in the world. And I do not think that it is. A, if you look at if you look at the long term challenges that the country and the world face, and you look at the way that you know some of the wealth distribution has worked over that, and the, and and the, the very sort of you know very sort of 0.1% getting super, super, super rich. If that trend continues, which it could do, I'm not sure, I don't think that will be the best for, for Britain, for the world. And, and actually, having a leader of a party that's prepared to say, we want to do things differently, we want an economy that works for people in the middle, who are frankly getting totally screwed at the moment, that's a good thing. Okay, um, I'll take two more questions. One sentence questions, please. And if I can ask for one sentence answers as well, John. Yes, uh, I will. Someone stood there with their arm up. I will never be able to host question time. Um, I've been Labour Prime Minister since I was 16. Yeah. I was wondering, I'm graduating this year, is there any advice you'd give um, to me because I'd like a career in politics? And I'm wondering if you can advise any direction I should take. Any advice for uh, a young graduate about a career in politics? Well, uh, <laughs> no. no. Uh, you old uh, rascal! Uh, Join the tall uh, Labour. Sounds seductive, though, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> Join uh, the tall Right, OK, my one sentence with a couple of semicolons. Um, get involved, pick a side, but just show why you think this matters to you. And that isn't about, you know, necessarily having a poster of... Uh, Neil Kinnock, Tony Blair, Ed Miliband, Gordon Brown, whatever. But you know, why, do, why does getting, why does changing stuff in your community or in the world? How, why does it matter to you? And how are you going to go about doing it? And that is what I would look for, where if I was, you know, picking someone to come and work in my team. Okay, uh, the gentleman there. Who's your political hero? Who's your political hero? Um, this is. Um, I mean, this, this is sort of, this is cliched, but I am uh, at the moment, uh, but very belatedly, I know, um, uh, listening on on my iPhone to the audible of the sort of put together autobiography of Martin Luther King, and it is just so extraordinary. And actually, I was 
you know, I, I was on the train kind of sort of, you know, looking out of the window, <laughs> uh, making for peace, no one see me like this, no one see me like this, because it is just, I mean, the courage of that human being and what those people what those people living through that time went through and the way that they stood against it is just so deeply, deeply inspiring for, um, for all of us, all of us today. And, uh, you know, this should, you know, sometimes, you know, just Michael Gove bangs on about this should be compulsory, that should be, well, we should actually, all of the world, everyone in Britain should be, should, should study, should have to study Martin Luther King and what they did and, wh- and what they were able to achieve through the way they did it because it, it shows that, we can do stuff, and human beings can do stuff when they come together in the right way. They can indeed. Um, I, I feel like that's a nice way to end, but I just if you had to choose a domestic political idol, who would it be? There'll be a couple in there. Um, I... I... I know this is going to sort of really kind of turn off sort of half of the Labour Party, including my dad. But I just think Hugh Gates' school was fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) So close. I just do. And look, and he was so, I mean, look, he was so, I mean, deeply, deeply principled. And that, you know, fight and fight and fight again. I mean, just to have the balls to go and do that and stand up a Labour Party conference. We need more of that. Um, And, you know, we've seen some of it from Ed. We're going to see it on Saturday. But he is, you know... Uh, he is one of my many, <laughs> of my many. But as you say, we're out of time. I'm only going to give you, uh, I'm only going to give you one from, from the Labour Party. John, thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, before we thank John, uh, please thank everyone here at the St James's Theatre and at Avalon who makes uh, this evening uh, possible. Pat on Sands and all the bar staff. Thank you. Um, and in quite a luxurious position of being able to announce the guests for the next two shows uh, in March... It's Alistair Campbell. <laughs> and uh, in April, it's the Conservative MP, Michael Fabricant. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait uh, to get down here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, as always, uh, you've been a phenomenal crowd. And if this is your first time, I hope you come again. And to those of you like Alan who come regularly, uh, thank you very much. Um, I genuinely mean it, though, because, you know, we started doing this a year ago. And uh, I think a lot of people would have maybe laughed at the idea that you could put on a light-hearted political night that would, you know, sell tickets, that would get a diverse audience, people who come for a variety of different reasons. And I think that's a, that's a positive thing. And I'm genuinely grateful to every one of you uh, for coming this evening because it's something I thoroughly enjoy doing. Uh, please, let's end the night by giving it up for a remarkable guest, Mr John Woodcock. There you go, John Woodcock, what an absolute gent, uh, lovely fella, and a, another great night down at the St James Theatre. Um, a couple of weeks later, I was gigging up in his constituency in Ulverston, and uh, John came along for a couple of bits and um, went out afterwards. And if you're concerned that young people don't understand politics or don't recognise their politicians, fear not. In this constituency, everyone seemed to recognise him. Saturday night out, and uh, people buying him Jaeger bombs and having photos taken with him. He's very, very popular uh, up in his constituency, and um, 
After listening to him, you can understand why. You know, a very reasonable and likable man. Um, but it was funny seeing him get absolutely mobbed uh, on a night out. The next show is Alistair Campbell, which obviously uh, I'm very excited about. There are no tickets left for that, unfortunately. Um, the the next one that tickets are available for is on Wednesday the 30th of April, and that's the Conservative MP and legend Michael Fabricant, who's as famous for his hair, really. Uh, and maybe latterly his Twitter feed has been on Have I Got News For You and various other things. Very, very funny man. Uh, tickets for that are available on the website, stjamestheatre.co.uk. If you haven't been down, um, the atmosphere down there really is great. Uh, and the podcast captures uh, some of that. But in the room on the night, these really are very special evenings. And if you've been down, um, I thank you for, for coming down and supporting it. And thank you as well for downloading it. And if you enjoy it, please do tell your friends and all the rest of it. Um, Yes, so more guests to be announced, including uh, Sir Alan Hazelhurst, uh, the former Deputy Speaker of the House of Commons, another Conservative MP. He'll be on in June, and I'll be announcing May's guest uh, shortly. So, there we are. Until next time, uh, see you soon.